Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Josh Brown, a question for the What Culture Gaming podcast, of which, welcome to, and usually I do some sort of intro involving myself, Scott Tilford, the host, and also James Dowse, who isn't with us this week. Sadly, the man's a bit ill, so massive shout out to James Dowse. Hopefully he gets better a bit soon, but you're Josh Brown. Dude, that was so smooth. That was genuinely <laughs> smooth. Like, I'm impressed. I would have stumbled over every single one of those words. Thank you. Now, we thought that we would uh, dive into something that's head first because uh, a piece of news that did the rounds across the last few days is the idea of Sony remaking Horizon Zero Dawn. However, it might be more of a remaster it might be more of a director's cut it might just be a texture pack for all we know um, but a document has leaked and uh, showing off various PS5 projects that are in the works including what is listed as a Horizon Zero Dawn remaster um, and also various other things like a Horizon multiplayer game and various other titles that are in production um, the date of the document is last year uh, 2021 however the conversation that came out of you know oh my god they're remastering they're revisiting Horizon Zero Dawn already um, is that idea that the generation itself is not delivering the idea that the generation itself is relying too much on the past and not enough on new titles. Um, now, I did a video a few weeks ago on um, on this and just talked about like the general state, the malaise that a lot of people have towards gaming. And there are lots of easy-to-go-to factors, like you know the fact that you don't get the best version of a game day one. You're always better waiting for patches and bugs. And you know maybe there's a massive... Um, advertising campaign that leads you down a completely different direction to what you bought, etc. Um, and in that, I looked into Sony stuff and really granular. I was going to say granularized their. I like that word. It's not a word, but it can be. Make it granularized their output because if you look at the last couple of years and the new, you know, the newest generation, they are the only um, team that are putting out like new IP. Like they put out Returnal, they put out um, Destruction All Stars, they put out Cana Bridge of Spirits, they put out Stray. Um, I know Stray was co-developed uh, at. Well, whatever, but they had they have more of a case for look at our new stuff alongside the old boring stuff yeah. as well um, than anyone else. Xbox are dead in the water in regards to exclusives. I'm being very hyperbolic, but I am very disappointed in Xbox, Xbox personally. To keep this um, on brand in terms of our interests, Xbox is just powering up, man. It's Goku about to fight Frieza, <laughs> and they're powering up, hopefully about to turn Super Saiyan for the first time with all they, of the um, acquisitions that they have acquired. They're in the, the hyperbolic time chamber, and that's what it feels like. It feels like years have passed, and yet we're waiting for them to just deliver something better than ever. But yeah, I think the wait you, is killing me. I think you're right. You know, um, Xbox, obviously, like I said, they've, they've been powering up. They mm. have been focused on acquiring developers uh, for the for years at, at this point, and we're going to start to see that 
you know, start trickling out next year with the likes of Starfield, hopefully. And I'm just hmm. hoping that that kicks things off early yes. next year. And then we get a snowball of, right, what have all of these developers that you have acquired? What have they been working on? Mm-hmm. And when can we see it? Because to round off the uh, just the opening stuff, um, I, 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 I love my Switch. I play it every day, but I very rarely play Nintendo first party stuff. Recently, I have been playing Splatoon a hell of a lot. But even that wasn't, you know, a new Switch franchise. We're five years into the Switch's life cycle, and there's not a single Switch-born IP. Nintendo are very few and far between with their new IPs anyway. I'm pretty sure Splatoon was their last new IP. Right. Splatoon 1 was 2011 or something. So it's been a while. Um, but Nintendo themselves, you know, if you're a diehard Nintendo fan, like, the the way the years have rolled out isn't very strong. Like, there are some titles to point to, and we've got Bayonetta 3 coming up. But overall, it you know, you can roll those things together and just say, is this the most boring generation so far? To which you <laughs> would say, Josh Brown. I would say... It is not a great generation so far (laughs) due to a lot of different factors. However, I would definitely say it is nowhere near as boring as the start of the last generation, which took until 2015 to properly kick into gear. And even then it was a snowball effect. Mm. If I look at what's happening in the gaming sphere right now, Mm. if I look at the technology in the gaming sphere right now, and if I look at the games that have released over the past couple of years, Mm -hmm. hands down, this is better than that 2013, 2014 period. For me personally, there's just way more going on and way more that I want to engage with. That's interesting because for me, 2013 was a banner year for video games. Like, well, you, you can you can counter this before I detail it. Sorry, not to jump in, no, do it. but I, I, I agree 2013 mm-hmm. was great. But if I were talking purely in terms of generations and I'm, I'm talking like from the start of the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One era at the end of the year okay. in games that released on that. So I'm not talking oh, okay. about The Last of Us or... Or Bioshock GTA. or Gone Home. Yes. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. All of those are awesome. I was going to say... Um, I, I would class that as the tail end of the previous generation. No, it totally was. I just When you said about video games overall, I was thinking about the general energy in the industry. If we're talking about general talking points or general feels towards the industry in terms of water cooler conversations or your average conversation with fellow gamers, um, right now a lot of it is rooted in kind of waiting for the new consoles to deliver something. If you've managed to get your hands on one. Um, and I'm speaking to someone who's lucky enough to have a PS5 and a Series X and a Switch. Um, you're, you're sort of like the general, uh, the general because I'm not this whole idea of it being the whole question on is it the most boring generation so far? That didn't come from me. That just came from a tweet that I saw um, across the last couple of days with a blue tick. I forget who it was. I'm sorry, Mr. <laughs> blue tick. Um, but it was someone who had a bunch of followers and a good few thousand likes and everything. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting talking point because you know, like I said, if you look into exactly what Sony's been putting out, it's not like they haven't invested in some new stuff. And I love things like Kena Bridge of Spirits. Um, but there is that general feeling of, which is the thing that I can identify with, waiting for the consoles to do what we know they can do. Yeah. Or hoping that they can do something other than just remind us of game designs that we've had for many years prior. Like, I'm still waiting for the the quote-unquote promise of the next generation to kick in. Like, I've not, I remember the whole, you know, not to necessarily fall back on the, um, the talk that Mark Cerny did, but he spent... He was laborious in going through every little thing the PS5 can do that the PS4 couldn't do. And the main thing, um, once it was translated and made more palatable by various devs, was that you would eliminate load times and you would have all these really cool visual effects or physical effects or whatever it is. And it would be such a step up in regards to frame rates and, like I said, physics modeling or level design. Things that were just so much more immediate and streamlined and everything that that would be the step up. And it's like, oh my God, I can't wait to see what you know Corey Barlog or whoever thinks of when they're working with this for the ground up. And things like the likes of God of War being confirmed as a PlayStation 4 game, that was 
to me, a blow against that promise because then you have to make that game work on old hardware and that's boring. And yeah. it's not that I'm not going to love God of War, but if we're talking about what might contribute to the idea of it being a boring generation, it's that we've not seen a Series X game yet. Like that's a full true. on, what can the Series X do? It's, oh, it's the world's most powerful console. It's like, well, yeah, but if it doesn't have any of the most world's most powerful or technically apt, uh, adapt games or yes. whatever, adept games, then what the hell's the point? At the start of every generation, we're always, uh, a slayer is born. There's a Buffy reference <laughs> for you. Um, no, I've only <laughs> seen one episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> Firefly though, brilliant. I'm pleased I just didn't die in the vine it really I, I wish I knew I wish I could have kept up I thought you were doing a Doom reference and I was like is there a Doom Slayer every season <laughs> maybe there is maybe. Um, at the start of every generation you know it takes a while I almost did the gag again so just <laughs> repeat it. that's and how much you love them. it certainly is it takes a while for the generation to kick in and I think that we're still in the um, period where mm. I have some goodwill for things not kicking in as much as I want it to be right, yes right. things like God of War Ragnarok uh, are disappointing that it's you know not going to make full use of the PlayStation 5 um, technology. Mm. However, I can cut it a lot, a lot of slack just because of the weird rollout of you know these next gen machines yeah. with the pandemic and then with the stock shortages. It hasn't kind of begun yet because it hasn't actually begun in terms of selling mm. the machine almost. You know, mm -hmm. you still can't walk into a shop and just buy a PlayStation 5 or kind of even put your name down for a PlayStation 5 and know when you're going to get it. True. In the same way that you could this time um, in 2014, for instance. Do you think, like, to, to pivot then into um, something like Xbox, because they've had so many years to plan for the, gen the turn of the generation, and the thing that they've come up for is working very well. Like, it feels like they're playing 4D chess with all the Game Pass stuff and making sure that, you know, you have xCloud streaming and whatever else. Attacking all these different fronts other than exclusives, other than, you know, the most direct thing that you would buy an Xbox for. And you you end up just kind of getting a Series S or a Series X just to play the best version of your Game Pass titles. Yeah. And it's like, it's so granular, like what in terms of like, well, if you get this version or a Series X, you can play it in 60 FPS and 4K versus 30 FPS at 1080 or maybe even 4K at 30 frames a second. Like that, again, that's such a, a PC style approach to the industry that I do find really boring. Like I remember yeah. like years gone by before Digital Foundry took off, where the idea of comparing stuff on that level was just so throwaway and just like, yeah, whatever, that's for the fanatics. But that's become like the go-to default way of, am I getting my money's worth? Is this, is it actually good? So like, let right, me just yeah. zoom in and make sure all the eyelashes line up to make sure <laughs> I've spent the money in the right places. Like, that's such a weird paradigm to have. It is, but also there's a reason why I think digital foundry stuff, for instance, is so popular now. Mm. It's because, you know, fans are more interested in that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's a case of um, developers and publishers trying to enforce like that kind of agenda to be like, look, this is what gaming is about. I think that's kind of niche analysis or what used to be niche analysis is now more widespread because True. of just kind of general interest in that stuff. There's I definitely do a hunger for it, yeah. but it, it feels like a shame that you have to fall back on it. I that's think that's true. the thing. I wish if, if you had SSD focused games or whatever it is, you know, insert next gen thing here, focused games, yeah. you wouldn't have to go to, to scrutinize the side by side so much. I'm going to keep going back to the 2014, 2013 <laughs> generation because, you know, I do agree that this generation has not got off to the best start, but man, if I'm thinking about every generation before it, I can't help but compare it to what we previously had. Mm. And to me, it is better than that era, you know, you were looking at games that were exclusive from the first parties, like Infamous Second Zone mm -hmm. and Killzone Shadowfall, and they were big steps up graphically, 
but the fundamentals of the game design itself hadn't changed. You True. know, those games are fine, but they were pretty boring. You know, they oh, were man. I mean, nowhere look, I, near. Like, is as uh, just super quickly, as someone who covered the industry, that was my first full year in the industry. Right, that was such a struggle. Yeah. Like 2014 was so hard. I mean, but the thing I said to you before we were, were recording is that PT is the thing that stood out the, the most in that year. And part of me would take, or maybe most of me would take a PT or a game with that level of energy around it and conversation. And oh my god, have you tried this? What is this thing? Um, I would take one of them over a Returnal or a Destruction All Stars or most of the stuff that Sony's put out in the last or. Most most of the things that any of the three companies have put out <laughs> in the last two years. Right. I mean, oh, see, it's, it's, hard, <laughs> it's hard to pass because PT is like the best. Yes. And I loved all of the energy surrounding PT when it launched. And yeah, we haven't really had from any of the first parties something of that scale where we've all kind of been curious mm. and we've wanted to know more about a project. Now we kind of know what we're going to get. We're going to get God of War sequels. We're going to get yeah. a, a sequel to Breath of the Wild. We're going Zero to get remakes. more gears. We're going to get more remakes. And it does kind of like lack, lack that excitement. However, I do think across the board, the quality is actually higher mm. than what it was at this point in the last generation. It is. We've had some, you know, potential games of the generation so far in like Elden Ring and potentially mm. in God of War Ragnarok. Certainly for my money, Returnal. Right. At this time in <laughs> 2013 and 14, I just don't think we had the same caliber of releases, which is why no, true. even though those releases may be few and far between right now, because a lot of things, if not everything, has been delayed until February 2023, mm. uh, they're still coming out and we're still having great conversations. Like The thing that's interesting in that regard is that when we made the jump from the 7th to the 8th generation, loads of uh, devs started making games for those consoles, or were always targeting them. So it's not like, I mean, the Elden Ring is a glorified PS4 game or an Xbox One game to me. Like, it plays incredibly well. I love that game. It enraptured us for months or whatever, literal months. It was great. Um, but there's nothing about that game's design that is rooted in, it could only be done on a PS5. It can only be done on a Series X. Right. So it, whereas the uh, likes of Second Son or... Um, Shadow of, uh, Shadow of Mordor back then. Um, I think they got old console gener versions, but the whole idea of them was like, they are made for the new systems. Like, yes. You know, like that's the thing that I guess people or me or whatever want to see more of. Right. I think that's where the idea of it being boring comes from. If I was going to try and pin it down. Yeah, I totally get that. I totally get the desire to want these um, machines to fulfill their potential. Mm. I totally get the desire to want to see more games use Unreal Engine 5 because <laughs> that thing looks unreal. Yes, and good. And really promises, you know, a next generation experience. Yeah, I guess the the thing I'm getting caught up on is the granularity of, well, when I was playing Second Son, when I was playing Shadowfall, when I was playing Knack, was I oh, they also... good. I was, yeah, was <laughs> I getting experiences then that couldn't be accomplished on the previous generation? And I don't think I, I was. I don't no. think it was until, you know, the likes of Uncharted 4 or Horizon or Breath of the Wild came around See, if, I yeah. was getting something new. And even then, it was new, but it was I iterative mm -hmm. in the same way that games, next-gen games now are iterative as well. Well, the thing is, like, this generation needs a turning point. And I think because we waited for a turning point last gen, you would assume that it would be more in place this time, which is to say that 2015 was the turning point for the last gen. That was the year when it was The Witcher 3, Metal Gear Solid 5, and Fallout 4, all in the same year. And again, from a coverage standpoint, that was such a turning point. And we started getting articles that were viewed over a million times. Like, it was a huge uptake on the site. Um, and same on the video side of it, too. 
Um, and I think that's the thing that you would assume people have learned from. And even yeah. if you go on the Xbox side, it's like, well, look, you guys stumbled and fell and just sort of kept walking into the floor like a bug, like a glitch <laughs> um, for so long across the eighth generation that you would assume they'd pick it up and nail it for the ninth. And so when things start to repeat again and the fallback is like, well, this is what it was like last time. It's like, yeah, because that happened last time, you should get it. You should get it right this time. And I think that it's interesting because they Sony, for example, tried to when it was like, we believe in generations, we're going to go full bore ahead with the new stuff and whether it, was, whether it was the pandemic or it's just more financially motivated or whatever they've had to double down on PS4 releases and last gen stuff and yes. things like that and it's not that we haven't got, we aren't getting new PS5 releases in the future but so, when I see a 2024 release date I'm like oh my god that's yeah. still another year and a half away I again I, I, I agree and disagree Scott Alfred, <laughs> because y- y- you are right 2015 I'm only arguing this side because it's more fun no totally 2015 was such a turning point like you mm. said we had so many big hitters and you said there um, you know why weren't they more prepared this time around mm. for me they have been you know right. Sony especially and I'm going to Sony a lot because I had a PlayStation 4 primarily back in the day mm-hmm. but being a PlayStation only player in 2013 and 14 was such a waiting game I had to wait <laughs> years before Uncharted 4 came out I had to wait until the quality was of a standard that it properly felt like you know I was getting the best of the best from that studio mm. and now I just think they've hit the ground running more and even Nintendo well, I suppose Nintendo isn't really in it because they haven't really started we'll, we'll circle back to Nintendo because I want to talk a bit more about Xbox too. right but uh, Sony in particular I do think they've hit the ground running you know we've had uh, mm. Returnal we've had we're going to have God of War Ragnarok. We've had a lot of games from them and we haven't been waiting in the same way that we were before. But my hypothesis yes. is that 2023 is going to be our 2015. This it feels is going like to it, be yeah. the turning point because I'm just looking at some of the games that are coming out next year. Uh, you know, Starfield, Final Fantasy 16, Final Fantasy 7 Remake Part 2, <laughs> Suicide Squad, Breath of the Wild 2, Street Fighter 6, um, Avatar, Dead Space, Alan Wake, Redfall, Diablo 4, Dead Island 2, This is your, like, uh, your microphone booming across the cosmos <laughs> voice. It certainly is. <laughs> And you know, so many more, I won't bore you with just a list of games that are coming out next year. There'll be a new Mario as well. (laughs) A new Mario. When I look at those games, and if they do all drop next year, which I think most of them will, Mm. because a lot of them were penciled in for 2022, I do think that's going to be the turning point and when people stop saying that this is a boring generation because the quality, the potential quality there is incredible. And if we get to the end of 2023 and it wasn't a year on par with 2015, Mm. I will concede that I was wrong in my predictions. Eat your hat. And I will eat my, I've got plenty of hats to eat as well. So I'll go through them all. (laughs) The real hat eater has ended the chat. Um, Yeah, I think that it's like that whole idea, again, that whole idea of it being a boring generation, it's like the texture of the overall release calendar. It's like, it feels quite sparse, especially this year. And you can absolutely say it's because it's still a recovery year the pandemic, um, which is totally fair. I think that that whole conversation, though, of a, a zero, what does a Zero Dawn remake mean and extrapolating that into, oh my God, they ran out of ideas, they're just going to do remakes. If it was next year when we found out about this, which was obviously the intent before the document was leaked, it would land, in theory, completely differently, or at least differently, because the texture of that release calendar would be a lot stronger. It would be a lot spikier, let's say, because there'd be a lot more big points in there to talk about. And in amongst that, you would not only be satiated by third-party releases, first-party releases, but a quote-unquote wouldn't matter that's 
Sony are going back and going, and we've also got a Zero Dawn remake. Yeah. As opposed to, we've had very little, God of War is also on the PS4, and now we're remaking a PS4 game from five years ago. Like, the timing, the optics, that contributes to that boring side. No, I think that's a great point. You know, Sony especially have been incredibly poor this year in terms of their marketing. Mm. You know, we've talked so many times on this podcast and other podcasts about, you know, how, why and how they insist on using blog posts <laughs> to announce everything, and why haven't they done a big showcase apart from the state of players this year you know Mm -hmm. why haven't they had more of a presence why aren't they announcing more stuff and yeah i think you're right that does add to the context in which something like a horizon zero dawn remaster leaks into because we're so starved for what their road plan is yes that if this if, if these remasters are all we have to point to like you said it makes us worry that the generation is going to be boring and it's going to have no surprises in store for us. And people need a mix of things they can get in the next couple of months, things they want to look forward to in the future. I feel like as well, you know, the generation that we're in, um, you're after all the mythical projects came to life. Like everything happened across the eighth generation from um, The Last Guardian finally being real to Final Fantasy VII Remake being real to Shenmue Three being real. Yeah. Like these big mythical, oh my God, maybe this will happen stuff. Very few of them are left now, like in terms of like big things that you might, you know, the, uh, the, the wish... Well, what was that 2016 where it was like the year of dreams? Yes. And uh, it, it became, I'm sure Tim, Tim Gettys on, on Kind of Funny called it that. Yes, it was. Um, but there was a, like you mentioned the blogs and everything. Let's talk about blog stuff because um, <laughs> it's like a weird song. Let's talk about blog stuff. Baby. Baby. Um, because um, Xbox did a blog post this morning. I, like, that's the whole thing. Blogs post to catching on. Blogspot.com is <laughs> where I got my star. But um, yeah, Xbox did a blog post this morning explaining the benefits of the Activision deal and what's happening with that. And one thing that I noticed that was interesting in there is that they said that in terms of the market going forward, Sony and Nintendo will remain the most dominative systems. And they are almost intentionally aiming for third place, which I get that maybe that's just reading the tea leaves and realizing it's they're only going to line up one way. But at the same time, there was something a bit disheartening about reading that, where, you know, like, it almost feels like they know that they can't beat Sony and Nintendo. They can't beat these legacy systems. They used to certainly try. And for my, for my money, um, optically, they're very much regarded as beating them in the seventh generation. Um, but that whole thing of like kind of going like, well, Sony and Nintendo are the absolute giants and we'll just sell Game Pass subscriptions and we'll put the app on everything. And they mentioned mobile gaming so much in that blog update that I'm just like, this Xbox is not the one that actually you were built on. Like this isn't the Gears of War, the blades on the dashboard, like... All that stuff is in another alien world compared to what you're aiming for now. I'm going to um, go out. You're doing a little smirk, a little smile. Well, I'm just doing a smirk because (laughs) you're, well, I'm not saying you, but, you know, that's taking what they're saying right now Mm. in face value. It's a blog. Yeah, and I know, but you know they're trying to get a deal through, right? Yes. They have incentives to <laughs> that's a whole say, other thing to talk about yeah, too. Yeah, like they have incentives to say that oh, we're not going to, we don't have any aspirations to be, you know, top of the food chain. They do. Yes. I, I, oh god, yeah. I bet you they do. I think this is quite a. Uh, a this is they're literally Palpatine. You know, he's just so <laughs> just give me the emergency powers. I don't know. I'm not going to do anything. Empire? Who's that? Never heard of it. <laughs> literally, man. Yeah, I think this is you know again not to be cynical, but I think mm. this is a sneaky sort of not sneaky, but you know, it's it's a way to deflect. It's a way to underplay their ambitions because there's no way you spend all of these billions of dollars on Activision and Bethesda and all of the other studios they've acquired mm. if you don't think you have a chance of, you know, usurping Sony and Nintendo. Like you said, man, they've done it once before yeah. with fewer resources than they have or will have if this deal comes through. Mm-hmm. I, and again, yeah, I just, I, I get what you're saying and I get what they're trying to say there. I just don't personally 
take that um, you know press well, guess, release with a at face value. No, I no, I also don't trust it either. I think that uh, you know Phil Spencer has gone back and forward too many times on what the Bethesda acquisition means. For as much as I love Phil Spencer, and I think he's done a remarkable job salvaging the Don. Um, what's that dude? Don Callis. I was going to call him. That's an AEW guy. <laughs> Don Matrick. Don Matrick. Um, the Don Matrick era uh, very much salvaged that stuff. But it's not that necessarily that the the belief side of it. It's just that it means it's a long term plan for their generation overall, and the way it's going to roll out is that they're not going to prioritize Xbox exclusives. And the thing is, like, as much as Game Pass is still literally, hands down, TM, the best <laughs> deal in gaming, it literally just is. Um, you know, the way that Psychonauts 2 rolled out, the way that Sea of Thieves updates have rolled out, like, there's so little fanfare around their releases where it's they're just sort of like, yeah, you know, you're already subscribed. Like, it's like, like a new Netflix original. It's sort of like, oh, it's there. I'll get there eventually. And that's kind of like the third place slump energy. Yeah. That I'm just, they are comfortable. I remember a while ago when Phil Spencer said that his rivals weren't Sony and Nintendo, they were Google and Amazon. Yes. And that was like during the Stadia thing. It was during Luna powering up. And obviously both of those have gone sideways. I think Amazon Luna is still going. Stadia obviously is shut down as of this week. Um, or it will be shutting down very soon, but it was announced this week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. 
And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. Um, that whole thing of them just sort of going like, like I said, they can't beat the big guys. So they'll just settle for, you know, the, the cheap seats, let's say, the majority of the cheap seats. And like, I forget who said, it might have been John Lennon, you'll never go, um, you'll never go poor playing to the cheap seats. Right. And I get that. Um, but at the same time, it's not exactly exciting. Um, well, he's, he's a thing, right? <laughs> uh, in part of what I'm going to say is actually going to confirm your uh, argument there that I they love have nothing. Yeah, it's, it's a good <laughs> part, isn't it? Yeah, the other part you might like less, but uh, <laughs> I would say that the reason that they haven't had much fanfare around some of their releases is that they haven't had big games yet, which again kind of confirms what you said. But if you look it's at It's so telling I forgot about Halo Infinite, by the way. Well, I wasn't going to mention that, but yes, Halo mm. Infinite, they kind of made a bigger deal about, and you know, that got a lot of downloads. Mm. However, I'm thinking more about um, Forza Horizon 5, that was huge. That was like yeah. you know, 10 million plus downloads in the first week or even opening weekend. Like that was a huge hit for Game Pass mm -hmm. and that was a huge first party release for Xbox. So that had separate physical releases as well. Totally. Yeah. And I'm wonder wondering whether, whether that is the model that they're going to apply to their first party games going forward. You mm -hmm. know, the likes of Starfield, the likes of the Elder Scrolls, whatever the hell we get next, Gears of War 6. Mm -hmm. And will Game Pass feel more of an event? Will these games feel like they have presence when they drop um, once they start coming out? But again, it's it's just when do they start coming out and how long will we have to wait for these big releases because we've had nothing since Halo <laughs> Infinite and we've had nothing since Forza Horizon 5 on that scale. No, and it's, it's that whole thing of just like waiting and waiting and waiting. And also, like I said, optically, Phil Spencer's whole thing is that we're not going to be restricting titles. Everything's going to be available for everyone else, which is the opposite of them saying, we've got 12 incredible studios and everything is exclusive, only on Xbox, only on Game Pass. That's such a minefield for them to navigate that they're obviously, either they're waiting, like we said before, cynically, either they're waiting to pull the trigger on that or... Um, they're not actually going to do that and everything they're saying is true and you don't need to even think about Xbox exclusive stuff anymore which that's the whole wing of gaming that like I like when, it's, when a console has exclusives I think competition breeds excellence etc in a creative space yeah. and I want to see what a system has to put forward that you can only play on that system but I don't know whether they are even interested in that mindset uh, at all going forward I think they are and you know correct me if I'm wrong if I'm mm -hmm. getting the wrong end of the stick but when they're talking about they're not interested in exclusives or taking things away from Sony and stuff is that specific only about the Activision deal, though, because they have mentioned with Bethesda mm. that they are going to make like a lot of those franchises. Well, that's yeah. I mean, that's the thing. That's that, that that's before when you brought that up, and I was like, that's a whole other conversation because it's all in the way they've worded it. Yeah, I, I've long said, I think probably on podcast that they're going to put a Game Pass app on PlayStation. Right, that'll be how it because it's it was that whole weird way that Phil Spencer phrased it, where it was like future Xbox Studios titles will be available in places where Game Pass exists or yeah. something <laughs> like that. And I was like, oh, I see exactly what you're doing. Or it feels like I see exactly what you're doing. And even with Call of Duty, you know, I know they're trying to uh, say how they don't necessarily want to take people away from PlayStation or mm. whatever at the moment. But, you know, we know that the deal they offered to Sony was to keep, like, the next three CODs on PlayStation. And there's a reason they stopped at three. I'm telling you that now, <laughs> you know. There's a reason that they stopped at three because after that, you know, it's open season and hmm. this might change. You know, I, I for as much as Phil is trying to play 
Like, I'm not Phil personally, but you know, Microsoft, <laughs> this multi-billion dollar corporation. Just your mate, Phil. Yeah, my mate, Phil. Trying to get it. Uh, Phil Chambers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, as much as he's trying to obviously, you know, spin this so that this deal comes through, mm-hmm. I do not believe for a second that he's not interested in exclusives. You don't buy all of these studios if you're not interested in s- exclusives in some form. You mm-hmm. don't make Starfield an Xbox exclusive if you're not interested in exclusives. Well, that, yeah, that was always my side of it. And I think, yeah, like that's just kind of them like kind of reading the road, reading the terrain, but also laying out their own and just like rolling with it as they go. And yeah, their most recent update was the blog post where they're just, we're not doing anything, guys. Don't worry about it. We're just, we're just third place. That's what we want. <laughs> we don't want anything else. It's just a little deal. It's going through. Don't worry about it. What's a murder? I don't even know. <laughs> it's fine. Um, let's talk about Nintendo stuff um, because like I said, their rollout's been very threadbare. And it's not that I don't love and like I, like I said, I play my Switch every day. It's very much a train console. I've been playing a hell of a lot of Splatoon um, and, and, you know, Return to Monkey Island and everything else. But the Switch, to me, has become that place where indie games uh, end up when they're on PC and nothing else. For whatever reason, a lot of devs just seem to target the Switch and don't necessarily bring them to uh, PlayStation or Xbox. And so my Switch is my indie machine. It just mm-hmm. kind of became that one. Um, but I know that you've not played those very much and you are on about maybe selling all your games off and everything. So I, what would like, you know, can they get you back in? Is it a tech thing? Because for me as a regular player, I, I just don't buy anything that I know will look better on a different system. Yes. Like it has to be something that's only available on the switch. That's um, it, man. Because nine times out of 10, you're just going to get a terrible version of a game that runs like hell. Whoa, Even Cold of the Lamb barely runs very well. My girlfriend is currently playing that Disney game that as I- As soon have- as you said that, I was like, that must be one frame a second. It is. <laughs> It really is Dream Scott Tilford. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she is playing that. And even she, who does not, you know, is, is does not normally care about resolution or frame right. rates, keeps saying to me, I wish I got this on anything else because <laughs> this runs like ass and it's, it's chugging. It's really chugging. But yeah, that's the reason I haven't um, picked up my Switch in a long time as mm. well. Ever since, to be honest, the new consoles came out because there's such a gulf in technology right mm. now. You know, there already was uh, uh, in comparison to the PlayStation 4 Pro and the Xbox One X, mm-hmm. but now it's just night and day. And especially when it comes to third-party games, like why would I ever get any of those <laughs> on a uh, Switch? And even the indie games that I play often come to Game Pass. So why yeah, would true. I get them on the Switch? Again, if I can get them for quote-unquote free on an Xbox Series X, you know, mm. I will come back to the Switch when it starts releasing, you know, first-party games that I'm interested in. I do definitely want to check out Splatoon 3 because yeah. you sold that to me. So good. But like you said, those releases uh, have been few and far between. And in the case of Breath of the Wild 2, which I am hotly anticipated for, <laughs> has been delayed so many times that at this point I might as well... I'm, at least in my head, I might as well just wait for the next piece of hardware that they release, you know? That's the thing. So, like, yeah, do you... Is it just that thing? Of like, even with Breath of the Wild 2, I'm watching that. I'm excited for it. Breath of the Wild might literally be the best game ever made. Like, it's right up there. Like, it's incredible. But you look at the trailers for Breath of the Wild 2, and it's like, this, the Switch is going to struggle with that. Yeah. Like, that, I, I fe- I, I've maintained, I feel that's why they've only shown us five seconds of it, because really we're watching Super Nintendo Switch footage, or Switch 4K, or Switch Pro, or whatever the hell you want to call it, and they're waiting to drop that new system. Um, part of me doesn't want to play the next big game on the existing Switch from 2017, um, because that ga- that console struggles to run anything in even um, 720p at 30 frames a second. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, it always happens when you get, like, these kind of trends transition years for consoles. Mm. I remember, you know, not getting a Xbox 360 straight away. And, you know, a lot of games back then that I knew would be miles better on the Xbox 360, I just didn't buy on Xbox. Right. Because why not wait and get a better version 
of it, or at least the version mm. that I had in my head, and mm. was sold to by the marketing teams. And that's kind of where I'm at with um, Nintendo. Even if I don't know what the next machine is going to be, it has to be soonish, you know, next couple <laughs> of years. And if a game like Breath of the Wild 2 is going to get a re-release, mm. I personally would almost rather wait and experience it on in, in his because these games only come around once every five, mm. six years, don't they? So in my head, I would rather wait and get the best version of that game rather than get it, see the remastered version come out in a year's time and then have to play through it again. Yeah, I guess as well, on the, in terms of Nintendo's appeal, like, you know, if you have any sort of um, anchor point with them over the years, like whether you grew up on Game Boys or you picked up, you know, SNES at GameCube, whatever the hell the thing is, for me, I'm, I'm default excited for Nintendo. I like playing my Switch. I like being part of the Nintendo ecosystem. And it's not like they haven't had great games. Like Metroid Dread is phenomenal. Kirby, Kirby Forgotten Land from this year is genuinely great. Um, but you play way more Xbox and PlayStation stuff. Would they, like, need to sort of refine their library? Maybe Metroid Prime 4 gets you in. Does it feel like anything can get you in from that established library at this point? Or do they need to work on new stuff? Um, Good question, Scott Taylor. I feel like I've been interviewed now. I'm full I, of them. And I like it. Uh, <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. Like, new IP... It's it's kind of a paradox, right? Mm. UIP would be interesting, but that's not why I own a Nintendo console. Right. I own a Nintendo console for you know Mario, Zelda, Ocarina of Time. Can't get enough. Ocarina of Time. You know, I want the next kind of installments in those franchises. And yeah, if if you know there's a great new franchise that pops up and everyone loves it, I'll mm. definitely check it out. Mm. But you know, I'm kind of just waiting essentially for a handful of games with my Nintendo Switch. And if they come around, that's when I'll hop in. You know, right. I, I don't view it for as much as I love it. I do love it. I don't view it on the same level as my Xbox Series X and my PlayStation 5, which I am playing all the time, nonstop. Mm. Um, and that's purely, I think, a taste reason right. from myself. You know, I will. Lo- I love to jump in there to play some indies. Like I have fun memories playing Detention and Undertale on my Nintendo Switch. But these are exceptions. These yep. are kind of notable exceptions where I'll have a good stint with this piece of hardware. Then I'll return back to my default, which mm-hmm. right now... Uh, is a split between the Series X and it's the just PlayStation that, 5. Yeah, it's just that general thing of like, you know, can Nintendo compete in that space of 4K resolutions or potentially 8K resolutions? 8K is on the box for the PS5. We're not going to get that. <laughs> Even if we do, it'll be at 30 frames a second. But yeah, it's whether or not Nintendo can compete in that space. Do they want to? Do they need to? I don't think they do. I mean, they're flying right now at 720p, 30 FPS, if it's even that. I mean, most most games are less than that. Cult of the Lamb drops into like single digits at points. It's been fun, thankfully been patched now. Yeah. But um, oh my God, I finished that game and like 95% of it was just chugging along in the fight scenes and everything. But yeah. I mean, you know, again, like maybe I'm just too fickle, man. But I, <laughs> I, I play my Nintendo Switch and I just want it to be better. Right. It feels old when I play it. It feels like an old piece of mm. kit in terms of the technology. Right. And I'm incredibly jealous when you bring in your Switch OLED and I see how good that handheld screen is. Right. Because I mostly play it as well. I mostly play my Nintendo Switch handheld. You do. So I'm not seeing it in all of its glory on my television. I'm seeing it on this screen and I just wish it was an OLED. Ironically, you've got an OLED TV. If I you just do. docked it, it would look like the OLED Switch. It Well, it's yes and no. Yeah. It would look good, but it wouldn't upscale as well. Is it doesn't upscale thought. anything? It's just a screen? Interesting. That was the whole weird undercurrent, did you know this thing okay. about the OLED Switch, that it's just a Switch. In my brain, <laughs> again, it doesn't even, it, it defies logic. In yeah. my brain, 
I would be noticing discrepancies because it's a bigger screen, whereas if it's a smaller screen, it's like looking at my phone. Dude, I, I, I am the absolute sick madman maniac you who are. bought an LG CX for whatever, like a grand? You did. And then got an OLED switch. Thankfully, that was supplied as a review system, unit or whatever. Actually, no, Jules got the review unit. I bought an OLED switch. <laughs> anyway, and I was just sat there, like, going in and out, like, uh, OLED switch in front of my eyes with the C- the LG right there going, if I just dock it, it's the same thing. It's like a 50-inch TV, but I'm like, hold it. It's bigger if I have the switch closer to my eyes. And that's, that's better. That's the sickness of being a video game coverage man. It really is. And you know what, though? Go on. I will never dock my Nintendo Switch. You won't? You can't make me. <laughs> I refuse to. But it would, it would replicate the OLED Switch color palette if that's what you're after. It's true. But Go also, on. I want an OLED in my hands. Like, the whole appeal for me of the Nintendo Switch, mm. we're just... This is the Switch podcast now. Yeah, is, yeah, it is. is the handheld hybrid nature, and it's playing these great games in a handheld fashion. I mm. was never into handheld games before the Switch came around. Oh. They were either too small, too finicky, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, dude. Fits in my hand. I, I hate it. I need yeah. I need a big enough screen for it to feel substantial. And the Switch Ooh. for me was the was the perfect size right, where right. I felt like this is a chunky boy, uh, but the screen isn't too huge to become untenable. Kind of like the Steam Deck. That also looks like a, that a thing's perfect a size for me. And mm. um, the point of this was um, I I use it in handheld because it's it's an alternative. It's yes. the thing that I bust out if the television is in use or if I want to play video games in bed, mm-hmm. and it serves that purpose and allows it to be played um, more than it would if it was just trying to directly compete, like you mentioned there, yes. with uh, Sony and Microsoft's machines. Yeah, that's the thing. It's I think, yeah, I mean, I the whole, I was going to say as well to address um, you said before about upscaling and stuff, and it doesn't. The guts of it are the same. It does have a toggle in the options, and um, that does like a high contrast feature. Right. But that just felt like when you see a TV in a store and it just has that stupid high contrast, whatever that's called, like dynamic contrast or something, and um, where they're just pushing. Oh, look, it's an apple and it's bright red. Oh, no, it's a future. And I'm just sort of like, no, like I'm not going to keep it like that. I'm not burning my retinas out trying to convince that myself that that's a better, pay, uh, better, better picture quality. And um, that's what the Nintendo Switch OLED has, an option to have deep contrast, but whatever, you know, whatever. Hey, it's the same thing. Hey, I'm, it's still working on me. The marketing <laughs> is still working on me. I, I'm telling you, man, I want an OLED in my hands. If uh, if there was a demon that, if I was in a Persona game and there was a demon that haunted me, it would be the idea of the perfect picture setting and it being yes. un- unobtainable. It would run away from me and I would run after it. And at some point I have to just admit that it's gone so I can get on with my life. So but I'm so aware that it's there. Someone should make a short horror movie yeah. about that entire chasing that feeling. Yeah. What I will say is, Scott Tilford, as you know, I well, I didn't buy it. I got it as a Christmas present. I got uh, Metroid Dread <laughs> as a Christmas present last December. I have not played it. No. Partly because every time I pick up the Nintendo Switch, I just remember You're and sick. visualize you playing Metroid Dread on your Switch OLED in my head. And I know it's not as good on my regular base switch. Gotta dock it. I don't want to do that. Because <laughs> I don't even have a controller for my switch, Scott Tilford. Oh, well, that's all, that's a whole other thing, is that the I have a pro controller, because again, I'm a sick madman, but at the same time, it's so much better than combining the Joy-Cons on that weird little mesh thing. Yeah, which is fine. rock thing. It kind of sucks. It kind of sucks, and the Joy-Con still has the drift, and the it just doesn't connect properly. It's a whole thing. Exactly. Um, but yeah, Metro Dread, you, you can tell that they, that why they released that alongside the OLED Switch to show how deep that contrast uh, palette could go. And it does look gorgeous on the screen. Um, however, all that stuff does roll together with, you know, that was Nintendo's best attempt. It was It's just funny, like, 
VR took off for a second, or VR was a conversation for a second, and then it's almost like Nintendo rocks up to the high school show a few days later, and they've got a little cardboard version <laughs> taped all together. It's like, this is our version of it, guys. And it's like, technically it's VR, yes. but it's nowhere near. Like, if, you, if the middle tier was a PSVR and the top tier was a Vive or something, or an Oculus, then their little cardboard Labo VR was like, it's good you guys did this, I guess. Yeah. But it's it's just funny, their version of, like, oh, the, uh, the big lads, the big, the big boys in the school have got 4K screens and projectors and 8K, or they're talking about 8K. We've got this sort of screen that if you don't dock it and hold it enough to your eyes, it looks like an LG CX or something. What I was going to say is um, that is good because yes. it caters towards an audience who might not have the money to get regular VR and kind of want a taste of it. But even I don't believe that because I know how much <laughs> Nintendo games cost. I know how oh, the God, prices yeah of those games and how they just never go down. And I know how much Amiibos cost and how much, you know, you have to pay to get those things uh, that might not even be in stock for three years. Just because I spent £27 on a tiny figure of a little squid kid so I could do a pose in the photo mode it's my business and my business. Tell the people alone. what you did. Did you buy <laughs> two and only get one pause? I might have done. So they uh, put, if, actually this is, a, this is a good PSA for anyone uh, who's a Splatoon fan. In Splatoon 3, they make it so you can only do photo mode poses if you scan an amiibo in. And it's only the existing amiibos. There's some new Splatoon 3 ones, but they, they're in categories. So like if you buy, like I did, um, one of the, like two of the squid kids, like a boy and a girl or whatever, they're classed as the same type of amiibo. So when you scan it in, yes, you can scan in the model of that different amiibo to pose next to you, which is still cool, but you only do the same move. And I was like, I'm 27 pounds out of pocket, boys, and I'm stuck with this. So yeah, just PSA, look up which Amiibo you're getting. But I mean, I, the ones that I got were still some of the cheapest because the likes of um, uh, Marina, I think she's called, is like 40 pounds or whatever. And I'm like, I'm not spending that. It's not Shovel Knight. It's I'm not, not spending that. It's not. it's not. I'm not spending that much. Um, but yeah, that whole thing, if you bring it all the way back to the idea of it being a boring generation or the idea of it not nailing expectations, an expectation was the 4K Switch or was some sort of follow-up, which I still think we'll get next year. Um, and just how much that tech chase factors into gaming overall. Is it even important to yeah. video games? Um, and I think for me, the best games are when they bring those things together, where you can't believe the physics modeling you're seeing or, or liquid physics or the yes. actual game mechanics you've got or whatever. And you're not thinking about scrutinizing the frame for whatever. It just works. It's beautiful. Like like an Uncharted or a Last of Us or something. Yeah. And I do think that's what we're going to get next year. This uh-huh. is my prediction that I'm making right now. Make I it. think we've had an okay start to the generation. We've had our starters. And next mm. year is going to be the main cost because, <laughs> like I mentioned, we've got all of those games that I referenced before and more to come mm. that won't even be announced yet. We've got the PlayStation VR 2 coming, my friend. <sighs> we've got Starfield. We've got uh, something else. That I was just, if you can name about. another Xbox game. <laughs> we've got <laughs> Redfall there coming out next year, among other things. And we've got potentially <laughs> new hardware from Nintendo. And to me, all of that sounds delicious. It does. It sounds beautiful. What you're saying is we've had a collective chicken chat and we're looking forward to the chicken coma. I don't... I, yeah, let's That's go what I that. would order. Let's go for that. That's what I had on Sunday. I think we're going to have chicken and egg. That's what we're going to have I don't think that's a dish. Next year. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, you just get like an egg and you just <laughs> crack it fresh over a bit of chicken. Speaking of cracking it fresh, um, I want to break your mind for a second because when we were talking about VR and we were talking about Labo, yeah. um, I preferred... 
the Labo VR to the PSVR. I thought it was more responsive and it tracked better because it was using the Switch's gyroscopes, whereas the PSVR had those stupid little lights that it, the lighting conditions in the room could affect it and my, my, my virtual hands would just float away from me. Whereas in Labo, yes, it looked like I was playing in Lego because it couldn't render anything, but I could reliably shoot a gun and walk around and it worked. Earlier in this podcast, you said that you were sick <laughs> and I will not even follow up what you have just said there other than to remind you of your own words. You yes. are sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. that's correct. When I'm not putting a cardboard elephant mask on and, uh, <laughs> or fishing cardboard fish. Well, this is it, right? Because cardboard VR. Ago, when we talked about PSVR 2, yeah. you said, you know, you were you would get uncomfortable wearing something and yes. looking a little bit silly yep. or what's going to happen when you put the PlayStation VR headset Someone's going to break into my house and I'm not going to be able to tell. Is it not worse to get robbed while you had a bit of fish cardboard strapped to your face. I don't know. At least I'm having fun. I wasn't I wasn't having that much fun on the PSVR. At least the Labo is tracking me and I can, I can reliably catch those fish and shoot with my nose in those <laughs> mini games. Um, but yes, for now, this has been the What Culture Gaming Podcast. Good Lord, we did a lot of time. We were supposed to get to some news document stuff, but we'll do that we'll as be. a news video. Ah, we'll Eventually. Go check out the YouTube channel. We've got uh, breakdowns of various things that have happened across the week, including more stuff on the Horizon stuff. Stuff, stuff, and stuff on Horizon. But it's been the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I've been your host, Scott Tilford. You've been Josh Brown. I certainly have, Scott Tilford. There's more horizon on the horizon. Is that what you say, huh? (laughs) Zero yawn, because it's been a good podcast. And we'll catch you next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.